0: You might be sitting on a pencil, and if, that help, if, that, if that's helpful for you, you can uh, take notes. And please do keep your, your Bible reading open on page 1227, which uh, Amy read for us so well. It's quite a dense passage, isn't it? It's quite meaty. Um, this passage you can keep on chewing on over and over. So we need God's help to understand it, and uh, I'm going to pray for myself as well, that I would explain it clearly and faithfully to you. So let's, let's pray for, to our God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that as we read your word, as we hear it preached, we hear your spirit speak to us. Please, Father, tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell us about the Son of God, that we might love him more and that we might love one another more. Help me to explain things clearly as I ought. In Jesus' name, amen. When Ross earlier mentioned that this is a series about the Trinity, I don't know what popped into your head. I imagine for some of us, we'll be thinking, why bother? Why bother with the Trinity? I mean, for some of us, it's a mathematical problem, isn't it? One God, three persons. How, how, how does that work? How can I put those together? It's a mass problem. And, and so we, we're tempted to disrupt, disregard it. Some of us, maybe we're tempted to think this is an unbiblical truth. The word Trinity, you might know, never appears in the Bible, ever. So we're thinking maybe this is this is something invented by theologians long ago who didn't have girlfriends. Maybe that's what we're thinking, and um, maybe this is a truth which just embarrasses us. Um, we have uh, perhaps Jewish friends or Muslim friends, and they ask us to explain, and, and maybe we, we hold up a clover leaf or, or a, what is it, a shamrock, and we know they don't really work and that they, they poke holes in it, and, and it's just an embarrassing truth, and we don't know what to do with it. Or maybe, and this is probably. I imagine for most of us, and while we're doing this series, maybe you suspect this is just an irrelevant doctrine. So you can put it in that drawer labeled things I technically believe in but have no practical bearing on my life whatsoever. Is the Trinity like that? Well, I hope this series will address most of those concerns. I really do. But here's my big get-out clause, my get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't think it's possible to completely wrap your head Around the Trinity. Um, someone very wise once said to me, Andy, it's okay not to comprehend God. The word comprehend means to see something from every different angle, to have a, have a, a fully orbed view on something. And he said, Andy, you can't comprehend God, because to comprehend God means you've got to be bigger than God. So we can't comprehend the Trinity, I'm afraid. That's my big get-out clause. But we can apprehend him. We, we do uh, truly get an understanding of what he is like. And friends, an apprehension of God is still a wonderful, wonderful thing. So earlier on uh, this afternoon, it was a beautiful sunny day. And I looked up at the sky and I saw the sun shining down on me. I didn't begrudge the fact that I only ever get to see the sun from the same angle. That doesn't upset me. Rather, I I bask in the sun's warmth and light and its vitamin G inducing effects on my skin. We find ourselves today in in 1 John chapter 4. And our aim today is as we bask at this triune God. It's vitamin D, isn't it? Have I lost you all? I've lost all of you. (laughs) I meant to say D and G came out. It's a, it's a similar it's a similar sound. Vitamin D inducing effects on my skin. Or are you laughing at the fact that I'm completely pasty and you don't think you don't think I've seen an ounce of sunlight recently? Maybe maybe it's that. Well, here's our aim. Now I've brought you back on board. Here's our aim is as we bask at our trying God, as we truly apprehend him as he really is, that we are changed by him, that we begin to glow more. In love for him and in love for one another. That's, that's our big aim tonight, by way of introduction. You, you'll see on your handouts, and a rather um, terrifying handout, we have five points. I rarely preach sermons with five points. But uh, I think there are five things to learn about God's love in this passage. And, and firstly, on your, on your handouts, God's love is triune. God's love is triune. That means God's love is rooted in his Trinitarian nature. Look down with me in your Bibles to verse 7. If if you've got a Bible open, look at verse 7 with me if you would. It says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Love. Now, the very eagle-eyed amongst you here tonight will have noticed that the Trinity isn't explicitly mentioned in those verses. But that statement at the end there, God is love, only makes sense if our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have to persuade you of this. So engage with me for a moment in a thought experiment. Okay, bear with me. I I won't ask you to close your eyes or anything weird like that. We won't play plinkety-plonkety music in the background, but, but bear with me on a thought experiment. Go back in time before the beginning of time, before there was time and space and the universe, before anything was made, and all there is is God. But imagine that this God is not the triune God we meet in the Bible. Imagine this God is a monad, a single, solitary unit. Now ask us this, could you say that this God is love? Well, I don't think we could, because he has no one to love. In order for that God to express love, he would need to create things to love. He would in effect be a pretty needy God, that he would be depending on his creatures in order to get love and affection and worship and glory. And I think, to be fair, I think that best describes the God of Islam. But that is not the God of the Bible. Our God is love because our God is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Back in John 17, which is um, John's Gospel, uh, Jesus describes how the Father loved him from before the creation of the world. You see, way back in eternity past, the Father had this... Perpetual love for the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit had the love for the Father and the Son, and the Son had this love for the Father and the Spirit. And in their overflow of their love for one another, they made us. Our God isn't a needy God. Our God is trying. Now, if all of that sounds a bit philosophical uh, for your liking, and maybe I've lost you, maybe you want a bit of a, a tangible expression of God's love, We'll just look at the next verse, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. You see, if it weren't for Jesus, we would never even know about the triune God of love. Here in verse 9, the father sends the son Later on in verse 13, the father sends, gives the spirit. Again and again in this passage, we see God selflessly giving himself. His self-giving is tied to his very nature. God's love is triune. Sometimes uh, when I go to the newsagents just down the road there, I, I pop in to buy milk or something like that, and um, I rarely have any change. So I pull out my wallet, and, and, I, and I find what I have, and normally I have to end up paying with a, with a £20 note because they pay Vickers so much here. And, um, and, uh, and when I hand the man my £20 note for my 59 little bottle of, uh, um, 59p bottle of milk, he, he gets slightly narky, a bit angry with me, and because he, I look a bit of a suspect character, he always holds it up to the light um, to see whether it's uh, the real thing. Because he notes they can be counterfeit, can't they? Or they can be the real thing. Well, that's what John's doing in this passage. He, he's he's listing various different pieces of evidence which mark Christians out as the real thing. Here you want to see the queen's face and you want to see that dotted line going solid, don't you? Well, John, he wants to... he wants To give us pieces of evidence that help us know that we're real Christians and not counterfeit Christians and one telltale sign that we are genuine Christians is found in verse 7 go back with me verse 7 dear friends let us love one another for love comes from God everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God whoever does not love does not know God because God is love if you're here tonight and you want to be certain that you belong to the triune God if you want to know that you've been born of him well the application of this first point is is that we should check for a family likeness um, at another church a while back I did an all age slot um, for, for the children in the morning service in, and what we did, we, we, we got all the babies in church and we, we got them up at the front and we sort of sat them next to each other, it was chaos and, um, and then we got all their dads to stand behind random babies and then we asked the children to match up which baby goes with which dad we called the game show, Who's the Daddy um, which I was, quite, I was quite pleased with and um, Actually, it didn't work at all because they're rubbish at it. But um, the idea was that the children often bear a very striking resemblance, don't they, to their parents. Um, Think of Ben Mungavin, if you know Ross and and Emma. Ben Mungavin, you couldn't possibly doubt that Ben is Ross and Emma's child, could you? He has uh, Emma's uh, red hair and and piercing blue eyes, and he's built like a fridge. (laughs) Uh, Of course, of course he's Ross's child. Well, if it is in God's triune nature to love, if it is in God's nature to give himself to others, well, a simple piece of evidence that we are his children is that we'll desire to do the same. We will seek to find ways in our church gathering to give ourselves to others here for their benefit, for their glory. For their well-being John's going to circle back around to these ideas uh, later so we'll, we'll come back to these ideas but there's our first point God's love is trying so check for a family likeness here's our second God's love is undeserving look down with me again to verse 9 in your bibles verse 9 this is how God showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Just before Hannah and I got married about, about six years ago, five, five years ago, six years ago now, um, her, her mother thrust this book into my hands. It was called The Five Love Languages. Have you heard of this book? The Five Love Languages. It's quite American. But it's it's, it's quite a good book. The premise is that each of us show love in slightly different ways. So I think the five love languages, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the five love languages are gifts, time, words of affirmation, physical touch, and acts of service. Is that right? Katie's nodding. All the Americans are nodding at me. (laughs) This And so those are the love languages. And I think that the challenge is therefore to work out which of the love languages your, your spouse appreciates most and to try and give them over to them in that way. It sounds like Hannah is all five love languages. High maintenance. You have to be quite a husband. Well, how is it? How is it that God the Father shows his love to us? Well, just think of those five love languages. He, he offers his one and only son to us as a as a gift his son takes on human flesh and he lived amongst us for a time of 33 years he he spoke wonderful words of truth and wisdom and affirmation he touched lepers he spent time with sinful broken people like us and in the ultimate act of service he gave up his body as an atoning sacrifice for our sin That's remarkable love. But what makes the Father's love even more remarkable isn't just the cost of this gift, his only son. It is the recipients of the gift who are described in these verses as the world. Now when you and I talk about the world, we often talk about planet Earth, the globe, the things going on in it. But in John's Gospel, he usually uses this phrase as a code for describing the messed up world that we live in. It kind of stands for all of humanity united in hostility against God. So our our lovelessness and our selfishness, our ingratitude and, and our pride and our lusts. See that the world by nature walks in darkness on this road leading to eternal death. It's funny, earlier on in, in John's letter here, he, he says this, God is light, but in him there is no darkness at all. So we've got this serious problem. God is light. He must punish the world, that are our sin. But God is love. And it's his nature to give himself. Well, how can we reconcile these two things, this just, holy, perfect God who is love? And the answer is found at the cross. Because there and then, wrapped in human flesh, the Son of God died in our place. He bore God's wrath. He swallowed our darkness so that we might have life and light. A while ago, when, when Hannah and I were moving to, to Hampstead, we, 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 you know that thing when, when, you, when you end up moving house, you end up packing away all the boxes, books into boxes, and and I often get distracted when I'm packing. I end up sort of flipping through every book I come across and I never actually get anything done. And one of the books I came across, funnily enough, was my old school hymn book, um, which, uh, which sort of sent me back a number of years. And the funny thing about old hymns is often they're really, 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 really good words, but often just dreadful tunes. That's the funny thing I find with them. But, but when I came across this, I, I started using it again in my quiet times just to, just to read through some of these. And I came across this really old hymn from 1624, And it says this, you might have heard it, my song is love unknown, my saviour's love for me, love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake, my Lord should take frail flesh and die? God's love is undeserved. It's not that we have loved God, as John says here. It's that he loved us. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're looking in on spiritual things. You're interested in this sort of stuff. You must understand this. Christianity is not about what we do. It's not about my love for God or my love for people. First and foremost, it is about his love for undeserving sinners. God's love is undeserved. And the application of this is that we should love one another in the same way. Just look down to verse 11 in your Bibles. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It might be, this might be, this might not describe you, but it, it might be that there's someone here tonight in this church gathering, or maybe in your family, whom you find it really hard to love. Maybe you've made, actually made a conscious decision not to love this person, and, and you have sort of a mental list of, of reasons why you shouldn't do that. Maybe they've, uh, they've fallen short of your expectations. Maybe this person um, has said careless words which have just cut too deep maybe old wounds are still raw well think for a moment God has so many more reasons not to love you and yet he does he does and so it means if I'm able to love this person I find really difficult if I'm able to forgive them and bear with them well, it, it's really great evidence that God the Spirit lives in me, lives in us. It, it's evidence that, that God has shown his complete love to us. If we're able to show undeserved love to others, maybe that's a word for you tonight. I don't know. Here's our third point, Nur Sheets God's love is abiding. God's love is abiding. You might know that just before we began this, uh, this series, Dave Reith was doing a, a project for his college on, on the Trinity. And uh, So he asked us to fill in all these um, complicated questions online. And uh, Dave's finally got his project in. Is that right, Dave? It's in. and uh, So you can ask him for his mark later on. And uh, one of the striking things in his questionnaire, he he asked us to ask our questions about the Trinity. And Dave then forwarded all all these questions to me so so I know what your questions might be. And I was expecting all these really complicated philosophical things. But actually 90% of our questions weren't to do with the Trinity... They were to do, in particular, with God the Spirit. I found that quite interesting. I think many of us, we might have got the impression that he's the least important member of the Trinity. Like, you know, okay, the Father, he made, he made everything. The Son, he, he saved everything. And then the Spirit kind of does all the weird stuff in the corner. And so we sort of ignore him. He's like the awkward member of the family. And say, Let, let's just talk about the Son and the Spirit. And uh, less about him, the better. Well, that can't be right, can it? He is equally and beautifully God's. Follow with me in verse 13, if you would. And and as we're reading, just think, how do I see the Trinity in these verses? Verse 13. We know that we live, or better, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I think verse 15 is a great promise for those of us who might wonder or doubt whether God really loves us. He says, verse 15, if anyone puts their trust in Jesus as the Son of God... The Spirit comes and he makes his home in them. Literally, we become his abode. He abides in us. He remains in us. And we in him. And I think there's just so much confusion about the Spirit today, isn't there? The Spirit doesn't come and go depending on how spiritual we're feeling in the week. The Spirit doesn't come and go depending on how good our sung worship is. The spirit doesn't come and go depending on what our gifts might be. The spirit sticks around. He remains. He abides. So whilst God's love was supremely seen for us 2,000 years ago at the cross, we can see his love today. It's a present and daily experience Because his decision to remain in me, in me, in you, is tangible proof that we are indeed forgiven. We are indeed cleansed and loved. God's love is abiding. And the simple application of this for us is that we should likewise abide in love. Just look at the second part of verse 16 over the page. says this, God is love. Whoever abides in love, abides in God, and God in him. So whilst we've heard already, Christianity is primarily primarily about God's love for us, not our love for him. The evidence that the spirit abides in us will be seen in the way that we show abiding love for others here. For our church. Does that, does that make sense? So, here's, if I may, if, if I may ask a series of questions to sort of help, help us think this through. Would, would you say that your love for people here is abiding? Does, does your love stick around uh, and take an interest in others? Or would you say your love sort of rushes off straight away after the service? And would you say your love finds ways to get stuck in and get involved? Or is it content to step back and do as little as possible? Does your love continue into the week, you know, into your small group, into your home, into your workplace? Or is your love just left as a Sunday evening thing? You see, as John holds up this banknote to the light, he wants us to assure us that we are the real thing. He wants us to enjoy the stability of knowing that his spirit is living in us. He wants us to know now that we're going to live with him forever. But friends, this warning is here, so I mustn't duck it. If we're looking at ourselves tonight and we're not seeing many or any of these hallmarks of a real Christian, then perhaps it's right that we should feel unstable. Maybe it's right that we should fear the day of judgment because maybe we're not christian maybe we've been going along to christian things all our lives and just assumed the christian faith without ever actually placing our abiding love in him because he has abiding love for us but If that's you I, I don't want you to remain in that position out on the fringes not involved i'd love to see you drawn in to god's abiding love And here's our next point, very briefly. God's love is complete. Look down with me, verse 17. Verse 17. In this way, God's love is made complete among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You might know that back in John's Gospel, which is his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, when Jesus is dying there on the cross, the final words that come off his lips are, it is finished. It is complete. It is perfected. It's all be done. And John very cleverly uses that exact same word to describe in this section here God's love for us. So just look down to verse 17 again. God's love is made complete, finished among us, giving us confidence for the day of judgment. Verse 18, his love is perfect, finished, complete, and ought to drive away any fear of judgment. So again, friends, if you want to know tonight, this very evening... What will happen on that final day of judgment? Go back to the cross. Go back and gaze at the Son of God hanging there. And ask yourself this simple question. Is anything lacking in his blood? Is anything there insufficient? Was anything there left undone? And of course the answer is no. God's love is complete. Complete. Which is a beautiful thing because it means our salvation is complete but the application of this for us is that we, we ought not to have any fear, we, we don't need to fear the day of judgment because Christ has done it, it's not about what we do, it's about what he has done but before I pray and before I sit down, here's one very last brief point God's love is commanded Let's finish this passage off, verse 19. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Last weekend we had this day conference here at Faith in the Local Church and I, a number of us were, were there. And one of the things I've really taken away from, from those talks was something Jonathan Fletcher said. He said this, Holiness is relational. And that's, that stuck with me and challenged me. Because you know, most of my week I'm, I'm up there in my, my little study. I might, I might be there every morning praying on my knees. I might be spending hours reading the Bible. I might be able to devour Christian books and talk theology till the cows come home. But none of that's holiness. The proof that I really love God, whom I can't see, is that I love you, whom I can see. So if I'm not interested in you, getting to know you, loving you, being affectionate to you, Well, John calls me out. He calls me a liar. He holds me up and he says, you're counterfeit. That hit me. But here's the hope. As I begin to apprehend the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, our triune God, I have to marvel at his self-giving triune love. I have to bask in his undeserved love. I have to enjoy his abiding love. I have to rest secure in his complete love. And my prayer is like gazing and apprehending this wonderful, beautiful, triune love. It would then overflow in how I love you. I will try and love you by giving myself. Loving you at personal cost. Loving you undeservedly, maybe. Loving you abidingly. Loving you completely. That's my prayer for myself. But is that is that your prayer tonight? Verse nineteen, John says, "We love because he first loved us." I'm going to leave a moment just to, for us to think for for a mo, and then um, and then I'll pray. Maybe you just want to call to mind things which you're really grateful to God for and maybe some tangible things you'd like to change having heard the Spirit speak to us tonight. Let's just have a moment. Trying God, Father, Son... Holy Spirit we praise you for your love for one another and we praise you that your love overflowed to us. Father we praise you for sending your son. We praise you for giving us your spirit. We praise you for your love. Help us to emulate that love. Help us to be motivated by that love to show deep affectionate love for one another and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.